Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the AccuWeather podcast. I'm joined in the studio now by Ken Prell and Andy Robb. And this week we are going back to Houston, guys. Yeah, one year ago, Hurricane Harvey impacted the Houston area, bringing a lot of heavy rain and putting a lot of people in a bad situation. Right. We had over 60 inches of rainfall in and around the Houston area. So we sent our Brittany Boyer, our afternoon meteorologist from the AccuWeather Network. She went down to Houston for the anniversary and spent time talking to some of the locals. And some folks still haven't recovered or gotten back into their homes. Yeah, some of the stories of what people were actually going through when the storm hit. Well, because it was to, days. I mean, yes. it was days of rain. So when it hit and then just the aftermath of all of that. Having to rebuild. Yeah. I mean, these are some incredible stories. Right. So we have Brittany Boyer talking to them and we're also talking to FEMA, right, Andy? Yeah. We're also going to have an update on some of the relief efforts and our very own Becky DePodwin, who actually appeared on our Weather in the Movies right. podcast. We love her uh, in those. Yeah. She's going to be sitting down with Matt Little of FEMA uh, to talk about some hurricane preparedness tips and you might find out something you may not have known before about keeping yourself safe in preparation for a hurricane. Right, so some great tips coming up, and right now I'm going to hand it over to Brittany Boyer. Brittany? Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us this afternoon. I'm AccuWeather meteorologist Brittany Boyer, and today we're in Houston for a pretty important reason. We're coming up on the one-year anniversary of Hurricane Harvey, a very catastrophic uh, hurricane, and I'm joined here with three lovely ladies, all of them with their own story from what they went through with their families last year we have Mariana, Angel, and also Robin. So we're going to be talking about them, what they went through with Harvey, and how their lives have changed since. So what's it like knowing where we are now compared to what has happened? Definitely was something that uh, we couldn't be have been prepared for it. I mean it was a really devastating storm but I think looking back to it a year, a year from it, I think we are stronger and we, I feel um, that we realize that we live in a city much more united than we thought we were. Everybody helped each other and everybody and be very mindful that there are people that they haven't been able to get back to their homes yet, yeah. that there's it's struggling. Yeah, I agree of, with her. It's been really difficult. Um, knowing that the community is as strong as it is, it's it's a good thing for us. Uh, when everything happened, everybody was helping each other. It really was a beautiful thing to sit there and watch that and know that we had that support of each other. A year later, my brother went out and bought a stronger boat. So that way, in the event it happens again, I have a lot of relatives who are like, all right, what was the best? What was the, the, the best for us to use? Okay, let's have one stashed away in the garage just in case. I mean, for them to sit there and consider that just so right. that there wouldn't be a family okay. left behind. Right. It, w- it was a good thing. It's a it's a good thing to see. This is where we've come to this point. Yeah, there's people that still aren't in their homes. I'm still rebuilding. I know I'm she, still rebuilding. Yeah, we're all still rebuilding, even though many feel, oh, well, everything's back to normal. No, it's not. Right. Do you get like a pit in your stomach knowing that, oh, my gosh, one year ago, 
Yes. This is what I was <laughs> yes, doing. It makes me really yeah. nervous. Like I think about it, especially coming up to even just coming up to August. I was like, oh man, I hope this is not going to happen again. I hope it's not coming again. So yeah, it makes me nervous getting close to that same time again. When it rains. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We, hear, we see the lightning, the thunder. It's like that little fear. It does kick in. You just got to get past it and see what happens. And you guys all have children. Yeah. You know, what's it like for them? You talk about every time it rains, there's got to be a level of scaredness, afraid uh, that it could happen again. Actually, um, last year, we were fortunate. We were displaced for five days, and then we we were fortunate enough to come back to a dry home. The water actually stopped right at our doorstep, and um, we were fine, and we were trying to help other people and trying to figure out our lives back to normal. And then um, a very good friend of mine, um, she's a, she, well, she's family, actually, and she's a psychologist. She called me and said, how are your kids doing? And I'm like, they're fine. We're, our house is dry. We're moving forward. We're, we're, we're fine. And she said, well, take under consideration that a natural disaster can actually uh, affect them emotionally uh, a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, they can actually alter their sense of security, their lack of control that you have mm-hmm. on your sense of security. So just pay attention to them. Take a closer look. See how they are. So definitely even a year from now, I think it's still important for us to take a look at them and see their sleeping habits, their yes. eating mm-hmm. habits, if there's some drastic change in something going mm-hmm. on. For example, my 8-year-old went back to sleeping with us, or maybe they want their teddy bear again, and they haven't used it in years. So all those recommendations, I think, were very useful for us. Yeah, I would definitely agree. My youngest, um, I thought he was fine because we did do everything to get him out. and. When we did come back home, he was talking to my my boss because my boss my boss pulled the team together and they helped us out and they got us some supplies and he was talking to my boss. He's like, "Yeah, it's, it's very stressful," and I'm like, "He's 12 years old." Like, and I sat there and I thought about it and I'm like, it, "This this is stressful for him." I, I had to remind myself not to just, "Oh, okay, he'll be fine. He's a kid." No. It's, it's very important for them right now. These are the building blocks that, that build them. And it, it, here he was displaced. He didn't know what was going to happen. He didn't know. He knew for a short while that we may be separated because I had to get him to safety and I was going to do whatever I could to get him there. And so he, he was terrified. Yeah. And even after that, it, do I have to go somewhere? No, I could stay home. Okay, fine. So that's all he had to know. He, and he did. He needed mom again. He needed to be at home. It definitely affects mm-hmm. our children. My older boys had a hard time. Initial, in the beginning, when they lost all their stuff, it was hard for them. And my little one, my four-year-old now, is always afraid when it rains. Is, is the water coming again? Are we going to have to leave again? And for me, with them, in the very beginning, I wanted them close to me. Like, I didn't want them sleeping in the other room. Like, we all slept in one room. I wanted to know that everybody was safe. All this information that um, uh, she gave me, I wrote an article that I shared. I have a Houston Lifestyle Bilingual blog called Yo Mariana. And there um, she also told me that we need to help them process these emotions through reading or maybe telling that story to a friend. There are some books that they can read and also some adults so that we can help them process all that. Now, fortunately for you, you said that the water came right to your doorstep. at our doorstep. So lucky. Yes. So many other people, though, unfortunately weren't as lucky as you. Parts of Houston had over 50 inches of water. You know, it was a very historic storm. You all live in Houston, but you all had different impacts. If you two could kind of talk about the situation that you were in with the water that got into your house. Mine decided to hit me on day one. So we had people, um, we were going to watch the fight. And here we were just waiting. And, oh, it's going to come up to the, oh, it's going to stop at the doorstep. We really honestly thought that. And then the lights went out. And we're like, hmm. So then 
they're getting on the phones to watch the fight and it's like, okay. And everybody's watching the fight on the phones and I'm like, save the battery, save the battery. <laughs> Somebody save battery. And then the water got in and I was just like, save the TVs, save what you can. <laughs> if you want your games, put it up. And it became a struggle. Everybody's running downstairs, getting with the can, taking it upstairs. And then the water kept coming. And I just sat on my stairs and I was like, everybody go to bed. Just, just go to bed. There's nothing else we can do at this point. It's lost. What's lost? What's lost is lost. And we just went, um, we went upstairs, went to bed. The next morning we heard the helicopter and we we're like, okay, time to evacuate. And we just started doing what we could to try and get out. It was, it was hard. Yeah. It was pretty hard. We, we, it also hit us day one. Um, maybe not as early. She said that night, we didn't start seeing it until about 6 a.m. And I went ahead, everybody got up, I made breakfast and we were just watching the news, seeing what's going on outside of it for everybody else. And while we were eating breakfast, it started coming in the house from under the windows of, uh, by our dining room. And we just kind of sat there and, and ate and kept watching TV and just everybody kind of put their feet up and then it just kept coming and even when it wasn't raining it was still rising didn't stop just because the rain stopped for 30 minutes it just came and that was the first day and seeing what everybody else was going through and I was hearing of a, a somebody that I know that was already stuck in her attic and she was stuck in there for two more days with her two kids and her husband I didn't want to be stuck like that with my kids it wasn't worth anything in the house it wasn't worth it Mm -hmm. to take them out was what was important. I didn't want to have disaster losing my kids rather than losing the stuff in the house. So we just, we picked up important papers, put them in a tote, pictures, and we just put them up in the attic and left. And we couldn't get back for two days after that. We didn't go back, I think, until Monday because we couldn't even get back. Even if we wanted to, we couldn't get back. Yeah, with Harvey, there's there's a lot of gridlock everywhere. I mean, you have so many streets that are flooded. And with Harvey, you know, it's so important to be able to find your loved ones, find your family, know where people are. I do want to note that we are in Houston here and we're at the Verizon facility. And something really interesting about uh, Verizon, throughout the whole Harvey, from the time it made landfall to the rain continuing for several days, their uh, connectivity remained 98% operational. Can you guys kind of talk about how important it was to have that connection throughout the entire process? I have. I work for Verizon, of course, and uh, so I had extra phones. I had. Uh, I always carry juice packs um, so that I can charge my phones. So I pulled all of that aside. When we finally got out of the neighborhood, I went over at the corner of my neighborhood. There's this church, uh, Sage Glen Church. And there's just a plethora of people there and they're looking for their family and they've got no signal and they're just trying their best to reach family. So it's me and it's my sons all sitting there passing out our phones. Call, we got a call. We had a network. It never failed. Were there other networks at the time of Harvey that... Well, people... yeah, everybody in line, <laughs> everybody in line, they had XYZ. And yeah. I, it, of course, I, I am blessed to work for Verizon and they took care of us. And the signal never dropped. I had, like mm -hmm. I said, I passed the phone. People were just looking at me like, you trust me? Look, call, call you need to call. Yeah. You know, just pass it down the line. And so they literally, they passed the phones down the line. People were calling who they needed to call, getting rides accumulated or letting them know they were safe, letting them know they were okay, whatever it took. I mean, for us also, it, communication was everything. I mean, it was countless calls texts of our neighbors to see what their plan was, what they were going to do, 
our friends that were in other neighborhoods, how were they, how were they doing? What and for me, I have all my family in Mexico, so also letting them know that we were okay, that we were out of danger. So communication for us was really, really everything, everything, everything. And mm -hmm. so it was really, really important to, to stay connected. Yeah, what about for you, Robin? Obviously, it's the most important thing. I have family that I wasn't able to get in touch with. So luckily, we could get in touch with my in-laws and also get in touch with a neighbor. That way, we were able to get the boat that he had in his backyard. He had already evacuated before the storm came. So we were able to get his boat and we were able to get our kids out. Then we went back, our neighbors and our neighbors across the street and everybody kind of passed the boat around. But we were able to be rescued by my in-laws once we got to a point where they could get to as close as we could get to each other. And unfortunately, there was a lot of people that weren't able to do that. And it, for us, it made it makes you feel better. I mean, I feel bad for everybody who had to go to shelters, who couldn't get in touch with other family or have somewhere else to go, that we were lucky that we were able to have somewhere safe and dry mm -hmm. to go. And we can get in touch with someone to be able to do that. And information changed every minute. Yes. Every yeah. minute was oh, something yeah. different. So mm -hmm. you needed to that contact with other people to figure out where was situation? What were what were you living through that specific moment that mm -hmm. changed so rapidly? Still. Especially the evacuation routes. Evacuation yeah. routes were constant. They were closing down freeways. Mm -hmm. They yes. were closing down yes. roads. To try to uh, drive and, around. Exactly. And, when my brother came to get us, it took him almost three hours just to get to us, and he lives 15, 20 minutes away. Yeah, wow. the same for us. And I imagine everybody was probably trying to call family yeah. members at the same time. So yes. I mean, you're a Verizon employee. You could probably speak to text messaging you'll see every once in a while like before i worked at verizon there was another similar situation and i remember i, I didn't have signal and it would tell, tell us that the signal was being utilized in other ways mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but on ours this time around when i needed it the most i had no problem i ne it never failed we were texting we were in group meetings, we were in snapchats we were whatever it took that could get communication out yeah. Yeah. We got communication out. Even if the customer or the person we're trying to reach out to didn't have us, maybe didn't have the best signal. If they had Wi-Fi, we could still contact them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we took advantage of every possible opportunity just to make sure everybody was okay. Just to make sure And I remember was specifically yeah. a post from Verizon on Facebook that, don't worry, Houston, we're sending reinforcements that they were sending I guess, vehicles or trucks to make sure mm -hmm. that the signal was even stronger we, for everyone to use. We do set that up. It's an emergency response, and they'll come out, and they'll sit on the outskirts until it's time, and then they start coming in, and we exemplify our signal 100%. We want to make sure that there's no, re no reason at all for first responders to have any issues, for our customers, most importantly, not to have any issues, so that, that way, if you do need to call somebody, you can get that call through. Right? We had backup team coming in from other locations as well, because, of course, we couldn't go to work, so we had people coming in from other states helping us out as well. Being at the one-year anniversary, I'm, what do you think you guys have learned? Not many people can say that they've gone through a major hurricane like this, let alone one with historic rainfall, one that kind of sat over an area for multiple days, what did you, not to say what you learned from this experience, but it is an experience yes. for you and your family. I've learned more about my city and my neighbors, about how helpful and caring everybody actually is. You, you become friends with people in your neighborhood that you may have never talked to before. Everybody was really united with each other and helped each other. And I thought it was a beautiful thing. It made me happy to mm -hmm. proud to be proud from to Houston. Houston. <laughs> do you think Houston is 100% where they were before Harvey? Or do you think this is still a oh, very no. long road to recovery? Very long road. It's going to be a long road. No? Yeah, I can see us still building, yeah, rebuilding. Yes. One of the things that I learned, for instance, and this is something I had talked to my boyfriend about, I was like, and it sounds silly, 
but I want to find a way to make a little like escape latch in my in my roof just in case. Yes, I because we talked about, about that. We, we talked about but that. That's the thing. We never thought about that mm-hmm. before. I've been here for all my life. I've never con- not once considered that. And now I'm like, you never know. You heard how many people got got injured that way. It just it was I mean, we were going through the neighborhood and people were hanging out their windows, asking for help, offering money for rides. And mm-hmm. no, I didn't see anybody take advantage of that. People were trying to help each other as much as they could, which, again, proud to be Houston. But um, knowing that so many people got locked in their attics, knowing that there was just so much difficulty. So now I, I have a backup plan for my pets and I want to have a backup mm-hmm. plan just mm-hmm. in case for the attic. And uh, now I have all of my stuff itemized and saved on the computer. So in the event something happens, I don't have to sit there and struggle to figure out what mm-hmm. I used to own. Mm-hmm. So it's, yes. it's different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a totally different approach. And little things that you can do also with your electronic devices, for example, like Verizon was telling us charge them before mm-hmm. if you know that a storm yes. is coming but not just your phones but your laptops your tablets iPads, your every mm-hmm. single thing that you have in your home just have them ready mm-hmm. and also turn off all the apps that use a lot of wi-fi or data for Wouldn't example think of that one <laughs> i didn't know that either. Uh, because that can really hurt your battery and put your background light uh, uh, dim mm-hmm. yeah exactly so that it can also last longer So when all that started happening, a lot of the phones also have like a low volume usage. So that way you can maximize and get the most out of your phones now at this point. And make sure that you have all the um, apps that you're actually going to need, like yeah. the AccuWeather app. I know during the storm, everybody was using Facebook a yes. lot to say Social so-and-so is at this house or yes. so-and-so is at this house to try to get them help. Yeah. Social mm-hmm. media was definitely mm-hmm. huge. Uh, mm-hmm. When they brought in the, yes. the Cajun Army, mm-hmm. everybody was posting and just trying to get everybody out. Like I know in our group me, everybody was okay, or where are you at? What are you doing? What do you need? If we can get to you, we're gonna get to you. So we, we also took care of each other as much as we could, aside from actually waiting for possible evacuations and nothing was guaranteed. I mean, we had the helicopter come in my neighborhood and everything was fine and everybody was going to this one house and everybody's going up. They got an emergency and had to leave. And so here we have a line of people outside and it's like, okay, everybody go back to your house. Yeah, it's definitely different. Well, luckily, this hurricane season hasn't been nearly as quiet and calm. For the people that might be tuning in that live in hurricane-prone areas or towards Hawaii, what what piece of advice would you guys have for potentially other people that could, you know, be impacted from a storm coming off of your experiences? I think if they're telling you it's big, it's big. Don't don't underestimate it because I think a lot of us in in our past hurricanes it, it never turned out the way that they said and we underestimated this because I wasn't prepared for water. I was prepared to like, you know, be without electricity. We had food, we had water, we'd be fine. I didn't think it'd be a big deal. I never thought I would have to leave all that stuff and and find somewhere dry to stay. I didn't think that would happen. I think that would be my best piece of advice. Be okay with leaving whatever behind cuz you can replace mm-hmm. just about everything except for yourself and your family. Have a backup plan on where you may be able to go and a backup plan for that one because they may be flooded too. So definitely have a backup plan and be ready. I mean, nobody's exempt. For us, we have like a little backpack where we have all the important information documents so you can just grab something and leave if you have to in an emergency. So, All right, ladies, thank you so much for stopping by today. And we want to thank you for tuning in to this live broadcast from Houston on the one-year anniversary of Hurricane Harvey. Have a great afternoon, everyone. Thanks, Brittany. You know, I love the idea of Houston Strong and how many people had to come together after this tragedy. 
And there's a great story. Um, Houston Texans star uh, football player J.J. Watt, he uh, did the uh, GoFundMe last year. And he was hoping to make like $200,000. Yeah, $200,000. That's what he was goal. hoping to, yeah. to mm-hmm. raise. And he ended up raising $41.6 million wow. for yeah. the GoFundMe. So yeah. it's, wow. what, it's a world record for... It is. Yeah, the, it is a it is a world record for uh, funds raised on GoFundMe and a, a true testament to, to the people of Houston and, and surrounding areas wanting to help out the community. Actually, yeah, that was worldwide. That yeah. is, am- yeah. that is yeah. amazing. He just like blew it out of the water there. Yeah, according to uh, his team, the NFL team, the Houston Texans, uh, the funds have already been used to clean up and rebuild more than 600 homes and 420 childhood centers. But not only that, distribute more than 26,000 meals and provide health care to more than 6,500 people that were affected by Hurricane Harvey. I love that he's using his uh, celebrity profile to do something so good. And I think we have a quote from him on how it made him feel to do that. That's one of the most special moments you'll ever experience when you get to hand somebody the keys back to their house and say, welcome home. There's really no words you can say besides thank you. I don't think that you'll ever really understand what it means. And according to Bleacher Report, it went to a few different charities, including All Hands and Hearts, AmeriCares, the Boys and Girls Clubs, Baker Ripley, Feeding America, Habitat for Humanity, Save the Children, and SBP. Right. Well, that was the thing he said when he started this, that he wanted to make sure all the funds stayed in the Houston area. Right. And it didn't go anywhere else. And, I mean... 41.6 41.6 million. Talk, right. That is Houston strong. That is Houston strong. So we're really happy for them and uh, the amount he was able to raise. And in our next interview, we will be talking about some hurricane preparedness tips. But we also want to remind you to subscribe to the AccuWeather podcast. That's right. You can find the AccuWeather podcast anywhere you get your favorite shows. And we also have a brand new website. Just go to AccuWeather.com slash podcast. You can find all of our episodes right there from the convenience of just going to AccuWeather.com. Right. And you can let us know if there's a show you'd like to hear. Now we have Becky DePodwin with some hurricane preparedness tips from Matt Little of FEMA. Thanks, Regina. So I'm joined here today by Matt Little, who is from FEMA. Welcome, Matt. Thanks for having me, Becky. So why don't you tell us a little bit about FEMA, what it stands for, and what you do for FEMA? Great. So FEMA is the Federal Emergency Management Agency, and our mission is to help people before, during, and after disasters. I work in the before part. So I work in individual and community preparedness. We do a lot of research on what motivates people to prepare, what their barriers to preparedness are, and then we design tools and resources to help them get preparing, help them start that journey so that they can build a safe and healthy community. So Matt, what can people do as some first steps to getting prepared for a tropical storm or a hurricane to impact their home? Yeah, that's a good question. And a lot of times people tell us preparedness is too expensive or it's too complicated or they really don't know how to get started. But really, this all begins with a simple conversation with your loved ones. Sit down at the dinner table, talk about where you would go if there was an incident like a hurricane that affected your home, what you would need to take with you, and things that you could do to protect your home and property while you're gone. Those are the three essential questions that we want to start with. You can go to ready.gov and find out more information about this, but you can also call your insurer or speak to your local emergency management agency to get started. But, but really, it all begins with that simple conversation with loved ones to figure out What's your plan? What are some resources that they can use to determine, you know, what's their evacuation route? What kinds of things should they take with them? Uh, some of the lists, the checklists, what, where can they find that information? Well, a lot of it is available on ready.gov. But like I said, I mean, some of it is just uh, thinking through the process yourself. Hopefully you're doing fire drills every once in a while at home. 
anytime that the smoke alarm goes off in my house because I'm cooking something and, uh, you know, the alarm goes off, my kids run right out the back door. And that's how we're getting started with those simple fire drills. But then we go beyond that and we say, okay, where's our next rally point if we have to get away from the home even further, maybe somewhere uh, a couple of blocks away. And then together we talk about how we would, if we had to, leave our home and go to my in-law's house, which is about a six-hour drive from from where I live currently. But that's how we start that family plan is thinking about some of those simple steps, making it easy, making it approachable. We're not trying to stress anybody out. We're just trying to have a common game plan if we are affected by a particular hazard. And what about pets? You mentioned kids. Uh, can you talk also about how to include pets in your emergency plan? Sure. And I, I have two dogs and a cat now. We just got a cat a couple of months ago. Uh, and I can't imagine leaving the home without them if we had to evacuate for an emergency. So they're part of the family. They go in the plan as well. We have a lot of information at ready.gov animals where you can find this from everything down to the eensy beensy little gerbil that you might have or a goldfish up to livestock like horses or cattle that you might want to take care of as well. That's great information. That's probably not something that uh, many people think about is, you know, what about these larger animals, livestock? So excellent. Thanks for that information, Matt. Um, So now to kind of turn more towards the insurance side of things, um, can you talk about the steps that people should take when it comes to even obtaining the appropriate insurance for hurricanes, flooding, uh, all that information? Yeah, well, insurance truly is your best line of defense for the hazards that you face. There's a lot that you can do to prepare the people that you love, and there's things you can do to prepare your property, like mitigating the potential effects of a flood or of a wildfire or building your home in a way that allows it to survive a a tornado or that to happen. But insurance is really what's going to help you come back stronger. And it helps you mitigate risk in a lot of different ways. You don't want to have that uh, debt riding on you after a home is damaged in a storm, and insurance can help you do that. The other thing is most insurers that I talk to want to help their policyholders get prepared. They've got a lot of information about the hazards that others face in your community, steps that they're taking, maybe other programs or opportunities to mitigate that risk. So that conversation with your insurer is an absolutely critical one. And the last thing I'd mention to you, Becky, is that most homeowners insurance do not cover floods. You have to buy a specific policy for that. So, you know, unfortunately, there's many Americans that are at risk for flooding that don't have the proper coverage. And then if a storm does affect their home, they're on their own. How important is taking inventory of the items in your home to insurance purposes? Oh, it's so incredibly important. You want to know what's in your home, what's most important to you, and what has value. So it might be the new flat screen TV that you bought, or it could be your grandmother's wedding album. These are all important things, and they should be safeguarded, whether that's through documentation and then insurance, or storing them in a safe area, or likewise. Your future self will thank you so much if today you start taking these steps to protect these items. Is taking pictures of items a good idea to have that on on file and documented? Yeah, that's a great solution. So things like um, identity papers, like birth certificates, passports, driver's license, social security cards, take a picture of those and store them in a safe place on the cloud or in some sort of portable drive or something like that. Then you want to think about your financial documents. So credit card statements, bank statements, your insurance policies. It really pays to have all of that on hand with you when you go to start the recovery process. And then lastly, legal documents, things like wedding certificates and marriage certificates, things like um, separation papers from the military or home ownership, car deeds. Those stuff are so important. Let's say you own a small business. Where are you keeping your paperwork for that small business? You want to have it all ready to go in case you need to leave and continue on from elsewhere. 
And if you're looking for help in what you should keep track of, FEMA has a great document called the Emergency Financial First Aid Kit, E-F-F-A-K. We say EFAC. And if you go to ready.gov and search for the EFAC or just put it in any web search, you'll be able to find that document and it gives you a step-by-step checklist of the important documents you should take care of. So let's say a storm has impacted your home, Um, say a tropical storm or hurricane, you know, Harvey Harvey happened, Irma. As these people are are returning home uh, to to homes that are potentially damaged, uh, what types of hazards should they look for when inspecting their home? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, the first thing is wait until you get the all clear from authorities in your area to actually return home. You know, you might hear a rumor from friends via social media or text message or something, but I would always recommend people go to a verified account for their local jurisdiction and just see that it is truly ready to go back to your community because you don't want to pack everybody up from your evacuation point, return home only to find out your street is still closed. But when you do get there and it is open, first do a full inspection of the outside of the building before you go anywhere near it. You're looking for things like um, ground eroded from the foundation that made have, might have made it unstable. You're looking for cracks along the outside that carry up through the building. Or maybe the windows and doors are, are out of alignment. These are the things that are going to tell you whether or not it's safe to go in the building. Then next, let's say all is clear there and you're ready to enter your home. You want to have two very hazardous situations in mind. The first is gas and the second is electric. So, you know, let's say your home has been damaged. The electricity may be uh, still on and the home may be hazardous to you entering. You might try and flick a light switch and, and get yourself in trouble. You might have cut electrical lines that are still live in the house. You need to be careful of that. And then also gas. I'll tell you, if there's one skill that every American should learn, it's how to shut off the gas in your home so that you can avoid some of those, some of those hazardous situations. And then, you know, let's say all that is good. Let's say you've just got some minor flooding or a little bit of wind damage. You've lost a few shingles. But generally speaking, the rest of the stuff is okay. You still need to be careful of hazards that may have come from the storm. There could be broken glass or nails. There could be slippery surfaces. Or maybe you had the most sturdy deck in the neighborhood before the storm, and now it's getting wobbly. You don't want to go walking out there and hurt yourself. So really, those are the things that I talk about. Structural, make sure everything is safe before you go in the home. Be aware of the utilities that are going into the home. Make sure that it's safe in that sense. And then as you start the cleanup process, be careful of those additional hazards that might not have been there before you left. Can you just list your kind of go-to resources for preparing and recovering from all disasters? Yeah, well, for me, I mean, I'm on ready.gov all the time, but um, I use that to make sure that I'm promoting the right information when I'm talking to people about preparedness. And I'll have you know that the stuff listed there is all backed by science. We make sure that the research validates exactly what we're recommending that people do so they can stay safest. And what you'll find on ready.gov under get informed is hazard information for all the things that you may face. So think through what might happen in your community. It's worth a call to your local emergency manager or perhaps your non-emergency police line to hear what they're thinking about and what they're planning for. And then go to ready.gov and look at some of the hazard-based information that's there. It's going to give you really simple things that you can do that are low cost, easy, ready to get started today to help you prepare. So for me, just to recap, uh, you know, it's so important to have that plan. You have to have a plan with loved ones, with your coworkers, with your kids, with your school. Have to start with a plan. Good communication can alleviate a lot of these concerns. Next, you got to get involved in the community. We should all be learning life-saving skills that can make a difference on a day-to-day basis. Then I would say start saving for an emergency. I mean, that makes all the world a difference, having a little bit of cash on hand to be able to cover your costs if you need to evacuate or 
do something else related to your home ahead of, an, an, of a storm or something like that. And then lastly, this one's so important, Becky, call your insurance provider, ask them what your coverage is, tell them what you think you may need for the area and see what happens because they may know of some, some great deals uh, to, to help you get coverage. They may know of uh, things you can do to your home to reduce rates and give you some peace of mind. So there's a lot of options out there, but, but those, those four things are so incredibly key. First, make a plan. Second, get involved in your community. Third, start saving for emergencies. And fourth, know your insurance coverage. Fantastic information, Matt. Thank you so much for joining us and for informing all of our podcast listeners uh, about this this information that could be so critical uh, when it comes to storms. Um, and is there uh, any recommendations you would have for uh, the accounts to follow on social media? I know FEMA is pretty active on, on Twitter. Uh, any other tips and advice for people to, to receive information on social media? Yeah, so FEMA's got some great accounts, whether it's uh, through Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and other platforms. Both FEMA and ready.gov are great sources for this information. But I bet you there's somebody nearby your own community that's making a difference. It might be someone from a local college or university. It could be your local weather forecaster. It might be your emergency management office or your police department. All these folks have that local knowledge that's going to help you prepare for the hazards that are most likely in your community. They're going to share events and tips that make sense for you. So they really are a great option in terms of starting this journey towards preparedness. So get involved, get informed, uh, and you'll be as prepared as you can be to recover. That's right. Thanks so much for being here today, Matt. Thank you for having me, Becky. Thank you, Becky. Some good information there. And if you're interested in finding out more about hurricane preparedness, you can go to ready.gov. Now, coming up next week, we have COO Evan Myers in the house once again. He's Always coming my back. favorite guest. Always my favorite guest. Ken, you are such a suck up. <laughs> I'm not just saying that because he's my boss. No. <laughs> and then he signs your paycheck. Absolutely he not. He's my favorite guest. Fantastic. So, but he is coming in to talk to us about the Chicago fire. Yeah, another great historical weather event, and we're going to find out how weather played a factor into the Chicago Fire of 1871. So that's coming up next week. Don't miss it. Boy, you kind of stole Regina's thunder. <laughs> oh, I kind of the show. I overstepped I, my line. I think I was supposed. I'm supposed to say, okay, well, tune in for go that. Go stand in the corner. <laughs> I'm going. Go ahead, Regina. Say it. Say it. So tune in for that. <laughs> Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.